Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Bench Units recording on a Tuesday afternoon, coming to you at some time in the future to be determined right now. My name is Mark. I'm joined by James. How's it going, man? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. How are you? It's all good. And we are joined by a guest who you've written the intro for in a slight turn of events. So away you go. Yeah, this is strange. It's normally that it's normally you knocking together stuff that you think is funny, and normally we all agree. But yeah, so we're joined by one of the few people who've actually kind of put themselves forward as being interested to be on the podcast, which is funny because he's one of the people to this point that we've probably known least about. Um, and hopefully this is another person in the long line of Australians who absolutely just rake the listeners in and not the other side of the Australian um the the australian sort of part of this podcast we've just come on and completely derail what's going on um <laughs> but yeah we are joined by clarence mccarthy grogan how are you doing yeah good thanks guys um yeah just really really glad to be here and thanks for having me on board yeah no thanks worries. for coming man when you um, say you're glad to be, to be here we absolutely don't believe you because we refuse to believe anybody's glad to be here apart from us but thank you for saying it yeah, that's a that's a real thing that happens with um I've had people come up to me before and be like, Hey, why haven't you had me on the podcast yet, man? And I'm like, because I genuinely still believe we're wasting people's time by asking them. So <laughs> like everyone's welcome. But yeah, glad to have you here, man. Um we should um before we get into it, we should say you've kind of formed part of this new alliance where I don't know what we've done to set ourselves up for it, but we were always getting stick on like our social media. Our typical enemies were what we referred to as the Dutch Mafia, which was Yelma van Brunschart and Rose Holloman, and also Yelma's dad, who went out of their way to give us a hard time. We've got kind of an anti-bench units Australian Mafia that's cropped up to start this season. It's like an underrated uh, little storyline that's going on. But yeah, you guys have suddenly decided every time we like put out for questions or we do the whole belt thing, all the Aussies pile in. I don't know if you can tell us why this is, because we don't know if we're being like laughed with or laughed at at this point. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll tell you this: we we don't. We, it's not like we have a group chat or anything um, talking about who's who's going to reply to the to the bench units um, this week. But it's just, I think we're we're all just we're all just linking up at the same time, apparently. So, Fair yeah, good, good internal <laughs> clock between the lot of Yeah, you're all synced up. You're all still jet lagged, even the people <laughs> who are years into living in Europe. But all right, cool. Um, CJ, we're going to start this podcast the same way we start every podcast with guests. And I would like to ask you, how did you get started playing basketball? Yeah, so I started playing uh, able-bodied basketball when I was a kid, actually, um, around about the age of uh, 10, um, 10 or 11. And, you know, I used to just love playing AB basketball at school with my mates. Um, and then I decided one day uh, we, we moved cities from Darwin uh, to Central Australia, Alice Springs. And I wanted to join up, a, a join a team there and played in the local competition. Um, and that's where I fell in love with playing basketball. You know, just, it was just a social aspect. Um, you know, I come from a very family orientated system. So playing in a team sport, you know, I, I just love being around having teammates um a lot of a lot of my teammates over the years have become like family to me and um and that's what I love about the sport you know you you succeed together you you go through the highs and lows together and that's that's basically what a family is um and you support one another uh, on and off the court so um yeah that's where it all started really but 
um, started playing wheelchair basketball um, about less than 12 months later after AB basketball once I had moved back home to Darwin. Um, but it was actually because I only found out about wheelchair basketball because of my coach, uh, my AB uh, coach, told my parents about wheelchair basketball. So back, this is back in 2004. Um, I started playing AB ball. So uh, I actually had no idea about wheelchair basketball at that point. Um, I knew about the Paralympics. I knew about swimming and track and field. I'd gone to a lot of come and try out um, sort of events, but I just never, never fell in love with um, athletics and, and swimming and um, all the sort of individual sports at the time. You know, um, I, I'd played all sorts of able-bodied sports as a kid. I'd played rugby league, rugby union. You know, I used to run around. I used to walk everywhere. Um, but it wasn't until basically high school that, um, you know, I, I it started to get a bit harder for me, I guess, to to keep walking everywhere. So. Um, so my disability is called fibular limb deficiency. Uh, in a nutshell, my right leg didn't form properly, but it's um, also partially in my left leg. Um, there's a big there's a big difference um, from my right leg to my left leg, and you know if I do walk too much on certain t- certain days, I guess um, you know I'll feel a bit of pain later throughout the day, or generally going to feel it at night. Um, so once I'd gotten to high school, you know my upper body started to develop, but my legs just couldn't cope anymore as a kid. So I guess the sudden realization of, you know, that's that's my reality now as I'm getting older. Um, it sort of dawned on me, and um, and not in a bad way. It was just like you know what, that's the reality. Um, Got to get on with life, and um, you know, here we are playing wheelchair basketball, 17, 18 years later. Sure. Did did you have because this is something we hear over and over again with like higher point players? You sound like you adapted to wheelchair life very easily but we often get the like rhetoric of uh wheelchair basketball is for people in wheelchairs and that's not me and like almost refusing to accept it did that did any of that happen for you or was it kind of the the next logical point no not really um you know when i was a kid i I had a lot of operations around my right leg to try and straighten it because um you know it's not it's not Obviously, it's not straight now anyway, um, but it was a lot worse um, before my surgeries. I um, can't remember what the procedures were called, but, you know, you have that metal frame around your right leg um, and then you've got the pins going straight through. And um, every every day, each day, my parents had to sort of turn um, turn it a couple yeah, a couple times um, to try and get the <laughs> Sorry, leg straight. We, we, we both just pulled the same face there, just as you said. <laughs> no, no, that's right. But, yeah, <laughs> thankfully, I, I was a kid, so I... I I don't know how I could cope with that um, now as, as an adult. Um, but yeah, look, I, I was, I guess I was used to being in a wheelchair because of the surgeries um, as a kid. So, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have my own wheelchair as a kid, um, but being in the chair long enough and going through all the, um, the, all the routines, I guess, of having to have someone help me because of the operations and everything that was part of my life already. Um, but now, look, I didn't, I didn't feel any different to anyone um, by having a day chair in the end. Um, I think the hardest part for me of growing up was just not really understanding, I guess, you know, all my mates were getting taller, some were getting stronger and, you know, bigger and, you know, just you're going through puberty and um, everyone's, everyone's pretty tall than me, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not exactly the tallest guy in the world, um, but you know, and then I think as a kid, that's a bit tough to sort of comprehend. Um, yeah. But, you know, I've, I've always been a go-getter and, you know, I'm not going to let anything 
get in my way and I'm just going to get on with what's in front of me. You know, you can only worry about what we can control. And that's, that's my, my sort of aim in life is like, you know what, I can't stress about something that's out of my control. Um, if there was something I could have done to change the outcome or the result, then, you know, yes, but you know, this is just who I am um, at the end of the day. And I just got to make the most of the situation with what I've got. And, I feel pretty pretty grateful to be where I'm at today, thankfully. So, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't change it. Definitely. Of course. And do you think that ad- having that attitude about something like uh, your disability growing up has helped you sort of with your on-court stuff? Because I think having that sort of control the controllables attitude is a massive thing for a lot of high-level basketball players. Do you think that's something that's transferred or that helped you on your way up? I think it definitely has. But, you know, as a kid, it... Um, playing wheelchair basketball allowed me so many more opportunities uh, when I moved to Sydney I actually went to Sydney at the age of 14 I went to boarding school for four years because uh, unfortunately there just weren't enough opportunities for kids with physical disabilities to play team sports um, where I come from in Darwin so you know I, I wanted to play at a higher level and um, I went to boarding school for four years and uh the tough part about going there was, you know, I was living on my own at school. You know, you have to be independent quite so young. Um, but, you know, basketball was my vehicle to get through life. And thankfully, that's all I kept focused on was, you know, getting through school, finishing, you know, getting my education done um, and being able to just stay stay motivated because of playing basketball. I think the hardest part about everything was getting over the homesickness um, when I first moved away from my family. You know, I'd be on the phone um, all the time with my parents, missing them and missing my family. And, you know, you, you always speak with your mates and you always think, oh, I'm missing out on, yeah. on so many different, you know, cool parties and birthdays and catch-ups. And, but, you know, these days, as, as the more, like each year went by, I realised I'm not really missing out on anything. Um, you know, they, I, I think a lot of people, yeah, were just living their life and I was just living mine. And if I, if I, stayed positive I just realized that you know what I'm I'm traveling the world playing basketball doing what I love so yeah yeah I'm missing out sometimes you know it does it does come with the territory or comes with the sport is um sacrifice and discipline is what my parents taught me but um you know like I said I don't know what I would be doing if I didn't play wheelchair basketball and I don't think I would have visited all the countries that I've been to already so um it's pretty exciting playing the sport yeah Definitely. yeah You've, um, without realising it there, you've ticked off about the next three or four talking points we had on our Oh, life. sorry, mate. You just got to start. You just got to ask me a question. No, no, it's good. I'm the ball rolling, so I'm it's, a, it's all good, I'm, dude. I love, to, I love to have a yarn. So. It, it's, it's all right. This good. isn't to bite us. People are here to listen to you. But, <laughs> it's um, cool. You obviously, you've sneaked a look at this document before we um, before we hit record on the podcast. But, um, yeah, I mean, we... So full disclosure, we, um, as James referenced, kind of early doors, we didn't know a lot about you coming into kind of you coming to Europe this year. And particularly when we realized we were going to have to interview you, we were like, right, we need to reach out to our little network of spies here. And um, let's see, let's see if you can guess the three people that we wrote to. Okay. So Uh, let's see see the questions and then I'll have a better idea. Oh no, I I got a message from someone that was like, ask him about this thing. And then they immediately were like, oh, by the way, super don't ask them about that. I was joking because I didn't know. I didn't understand the reference, but we'll talk about that. That actually sounds like Tom or Neil Thorne already. No, well, well, he was one of them, but no, this was from someone else. (laughs) 
that wasn't him, but you've ticked one name off the list. So, um, yeah, Tom O'Neill Thorne let us in on your move from Darwin to Sydney. I didn't realise you'd been so young at the time you'd done that, but that's obviously, as kind of a 14-year-old kid, is a huge commitment to make in pursuit of, you know, basketball as your as your ultimate goal. Was that, you said it was, you know, in, in search of further opportunities than what you could get in Darwin, but had there been some previous, hey, this basketball thing could be, could really be something for me going forward or had you kind of clocked that this was the career path for you or was this just hey let's go to Sydney and see what happens um I mean look I just I just really enjoyed it like it wasn't it wasn't whether you know you know is this going to be the pinnacle you know am I going to go how far can I go with it um I think the real question was you know how much can my how much can I go for how much further can I go with the sport? Um, it was just, you know, it was a risk. Um, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, um, it's definitely a risk taking that, that chance to go to boarding school. Cause I didn't know what was going to come out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that's what life's about. You know, you want to chase something and you want to succeed in something. And if you're very passionate about whatever it is you want to do, then I think it's got to, you just got to go, go with it and uh, make the most of your opportunities and, the opportunity to go to boarding school for me came up at, at a time that was not expecting. You know, we, we were on holidays in Sydney, um, January uh, 2008, and it was actually the first day of school um, in 2008 that had started when we were visiting the, the high school, the college, and we were actually looking for the following year, so the next year, um, for, for me to start in 2009. Um, but by the end of the, the meeting or the, the tour with the school, you know, the, the principal and the, the boarding master at the time pretty much offered me a spot there to say, we'd like to have you this year if, you, if you'd like. Um, and, you know, they said, when would you like to start? And we were kind of a bit stunned um, because we were there just as a family on holidays um, and trying to just make the most out of the holiday by looking at the school for the following year. And yeah. I said, to my parents, I said, well, I'd like to start in two weeks if that's all right, because I'd actually like to go home first and say goodbye to all my mates and the rest of my family, because I could I could have started then and there. Um, that's how keen I was, you know, as, as a 14-year-old. Your stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, went back home for about two weeks and then came back and started week two or week three. Um, and, you know, the, the rest is history, really, so... Yeah. So moving, uh, moving there at a young age to sort of pursue basketball, um, who or what were your sort of early influences in the game? Like, or were there some play, some sort of senior players or some coaches that you, that you would sort of give credit for really sort of starting off your formation as the player you are now? Yeah. Well, I mean, like when I first started, when I went to my first ever junior nationals, um, I played there with Michael Allprince, so played played with Orpi there um, for New South Wales juniors, and um, that's it was about 2007. I went back, so two years later, um, and that's actually where I met Bill as well um, as a kid, and um, he was in the the age group above. I think it was the under 18s, and we we're in the under 16s or 14s. Yeah. Um, but I went back to Sydney two years later for a national for the for the junior nationals. Um, at that point and I got to know more of the the guys from Sydney and um, a big influence 
on me from the New South Wales juniors was John McPhail. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you guys ever met John, um, but, you know, he's, he's looked out for me ever since we were juniors and um, he actually went to UTA as well. So he, me going to UTA was um, influenced by him a lot. Um, and, yeah, I think he was definitely a big part of it. And growing up, just playing in Sydney, playing National League, um, you know, one of my one of my mentors playing played with her for so long uh, on the court, and she was a mentor off the court. Is Kylie Gauchi. Uh, she was a member of the Australian Gliders. Um, awesome, awesome two pointer. Um, and, and you know, she looked out for me as a kid and um, helped get get me through national league and learning the ins and outs of how how it all works. And um, but the the biggest one I'll, I'll want to mention um, that started to happen a few years later, probably from about. Uh, I played against him in 2009, which was my my rookie season with the National League, uh, in the National League, sorry. And he joined us to help be a, be a, on the coaching staff. Really, um, is Troy Sachs. So oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Troy Sachs is was was my coach, and he's my mentor, and he's been my mentor on and off the court. And um, you know, he's family to me, and um, he's helped me get through life as well. Um, and yeah, so Troy, Kylie, and uh, and John were the were the main three. Yeah, you could you could do a lot worse. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a pretty good outlook when you listed off John John McPhail and Kylie Gauchy first. Like, oh, and by the way, Troy Sachs may be <laughs> one of the best <laughs> to ever do this. Yeah, no, Troy, 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 Troy's a legend. He's, he's he's helped get me through just just you know life. He saw me. As a as a junior, um, I, I was very fortunate enough to be able to play against him, and then also play uh, a few games with him, um, and then actually have him as my coach, which is which is yeah. which is awesome. You know, not not too many people can have a guy like that um, that they've played against and played with, and then end up having them as their coach. So I'm I'm very grateful. Yeah. Yeah. What's he like as a coach? Because yeah. something I always think is really interesting is like there's a lot of really good players that the coaching thing doesn't translate because I don't know, uh, just go out and get 40. Like I would doesn't really cut it, but I'm sure there's way more to it than that, but I'm, I'm very interested to know what's he like as a coach. Oh, Troy, Troy's amazing. Um, I think, I think that there's been some times where players had seen him sort of, um, you know, go off on the on the sidelines or something you know because they just a lot of people remember Troy as a player but sure. um, as a coach he's, he's definitely a lot um, lot more calm um, because it's not him you know he understands it's not him out there doing this or that he he understands everyone's everyone's different now the game's different sure. um, but you know I don't I don't see that as him you know losing losing it or getting angry or whatever I just see it as he's just a very passionate passionate guy um you know he loves he loves basketball um as, as a player obviously you guys um know know what he's done but you know as a coach he, he loves it just as much um and obviously it's probably a little bit tougher because he's not out there doing it anymore um yeah. but you know being able to learn from him and him being able to teach us as players it's it's a yeah it's an awesome journey um but just a very passionate guy and you know you if you if you play for him he he definitely looks out for his players and he loves his players. And um, I think people don't, people don't, they see the tip of the iceberg um, with him. You know, they think what you see is what you get, but, and that's pretty, it's pretty true, but he does a lot. He does a lot for everyone um, that that's on the team. And 
um, goes above and beyond. Yeah. 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 Um, obviously, him being an absolute legend for the Australian national team is a really, really nice way for us to segue into the bit we're about to talk about because we want to talk to you about your experiences with the, like, in and around the national team so far. So uh, we have written down here that obviously it's it's quite a difficult team to make the, squ- to make the squad for, to make the 12, especially as a smaller four-pointer. So what have your, what were your first experiences um, in the setup? I'm trying to, trying to think when the first time I saw you, but when was your first, when were your first national team experiences, be that like junior teams or friendly tournaments or camps? Um, well, my first actual junior tournament was uh, our 23s nine, nine years ago um, in Adana, Turkey. Oh yeah. Um, so, I was there. Yeah. So um, we're, we're ticking towards it again, man. Every time we get an Aussie on this podcast, they bring up that bronze medal game and it sends James into a spiral. Yeah, well, sorry to sorry to bring it's back all right. um, sorry, the memories, but I, I remember, yeah, I remember, you know, you guys were up at by eight points at one point, and I don't know how somehow we came back and won by two in the end. And um, I just don't, I still just don't remember how Yannick managed to get that shot up, but yeah. Oh, uh, mate, I, it's just something we all learn to live with. You know, Yannick's just a freak of nature, and yeah, um, hey, that Yannick as, guy as, could as, be as, pretty as good. As a one, he plays out of his skin, so I don't, I don't look at him as a one pointer, honestly. Um, nah. <laughs> but. Yeah, look, I think that's that's pretty much that's where I started playing, you know, with Tom and Yannick um, with the twenty threes and and Orpi. Um and that's that's where sort of all of our journey really began, um, and just kind of just went from there. So I think uh, after that twenty threes, it was pretty tough to crack the the seniors then because yeah. you know we still had we still had superstars playing. Um, in in the high pointer category at least anyway yeah. we, like you know, across the board but in the high pointers there was still Brad Ness there was still Justin Everson um, you know there was um, there's uh, Adam Deans Tristan Knowles Brett Stibners so a lot yeah. of guys uh, Sean Russell to try and sort of battle it out against and here I was with just a small four 19 year old 20 year old um, and at that point you know it was still a it was still a big big sort of um, type game of basketball and you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a small big, so it definitely wasn't my time. Um, but I think I, I personally believe that after the 2016 um, Rio Paralympics, I think the game sort of changed a bit um, because a lot of teams started to change to having sort of midpoint lineups and and small ball and maybe not even have one true big. Um, but you know, every every team's different, and I think from there on, it kind of changed the way basketball's played a little bit now. So. Um, you know, I'm 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 grateful for that because now I've <laughs> now I've been able to get a get a look in um, just to get my foot in the door. Um, but you know, can't can't get too comfortable. So just got to keep working, and we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Sure. And when when you list off the um, the guys that you did in kind of the high point category across the board, there did you have a moment of being? Because I think this happens with a bunch of guys we talk to where they get you know, called up to one of their first senior camps or whatever it is, and they kind of get out there for the first training session or first scrimmage or whatever it might be, and they go up against these guys and they're like, oh, this is, you know, this is different. Did you have kind of a, a learning curve in the your initial time in the role of senior squad? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I went to my first senior camp after you know, some time away from basketball from the from the senior side or, you know, just from rep stuff. Yeah. I just played National League for a while. Um, 
because it was a tough, it was sort of a tough era, I guess, for me after 23s and, you know, it's tough to make the, the senior group and you kind of, you kind of wonder, you know, where am I going next? You know, can I make, can I crack into the squad? Um, you know, I, but I just kept playing and, you know, just, you just got to keep going through with life. Um, just keep moving forward. And I got, a I got the opportunity to go to college um, in 2016 and it was pretty cool because we ended up winning uh, in my first year, the national championship. And we broke a 11 year drought at UTA for the men's. Um, and it was because I went to college then that I ended up um, getting invited to come um, come to the camp that we were having in 2017. So it was kind of like going backwards, but to be able to, you know, go, go a few steps backwards to go. Ending an 11-year title so, drought should get you an invite to most national team camps, I would have thought. <laughs> but... Well, it was cool, you know, I got, um, yeah. got, got called up to come to the camp and, you know, I knew I wasn't being looked at, but it was like, hey, like, I'm, I'm being looked at now. Like, they've noticed something. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just nice to be able to get the invite and be like, hey, here I am and let's let's just go with it, you know. And I, I obviously, I didn't make the team for 2018 Worlds. You know, that's when the, the crew started to get narrowed down. But um, I was just happy to be back wearing a green and gold um, reversible. You know, it's, it's, it's the best feeling in the world when you get to be at camps or represent your country and being brought back into the squad um, after being away for quite some time. It was pretty nice. One question, one question I like to ask people who get to be in and around national teams. Uh, it's a bit of a weird one, but like you look at the team Australia rosters and obviously there's a lot of guys that everyone knows about and everyone knows are amazing and they've seen them play world championship Paralympic games and, this, that, and the other, but is there someone who maybe doesn't get the shine that you've seen or you've played with in those uh, camps that you think deserves a bit more, a bit more sort of light shone upon them? Because I love hearing about this stuff. Everyone has a guy. Everyone at this level has a guy that yeah, you're like, man, if you could see them in training. Especially in a team like Australia, right, where it's like there's probably guys in your, you know, your deep reserves who would start on a bunch of international teams, right? Because just the depth of the the players you guys produce is is what it is. Um, I like to to me, he's already been is 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 already been awesome and a champion, and and he's a legend. Um, you know, coming from Australia and playing against him for so long, he's won a lot of national league titles. Um. And someone who I probably think that doesn't get enough credit um, and, and he's mentored me a lot ever since I came back into the group and um, even as a junior playing against him is actually Brett Stibner's Sticky. Yeah, um, he's the man. I, like, you know, he, he and Tristan, he and T play together. They play together for so long, um, club level, internationally. But, you know, just I think, I think Sticky doesn't get enough credit um, or didn't get enough credit at the time, but you know he's also one of those guys. Like he knows what his role is, and he gets on with it, and um, he doesn't care about you know who who's getting mentioned in in the article this week or on the news for next week or whatever it is. Like he's there to do a job, and um, he's been he's been a great mentor for me being back in the in the role as group, um, and he's helped get me through you know the ins and outs, and you know I think that's definitely someone that I think hasn't got enough credit um throughout his time but um yeah he's probably the the first one that comes to the top of the list for me 
you need not convince us any further because I think you're talking to two um, fairly established Brett Stibner's fans <laughs> in this case. Yeah, for sure. I don't know anyone who's like, because he was in, he was at your, he was at your club right now a couple of years ago, obviously, and obviously started and just shot 15 threes a game if he wanted to. And um, I, I always find it really interesting watching how he played at club basketball and then coming into the national team, not starting, but coming off the bench and then just being the same guy anyway. I always thought that was really cool. Like not needing to start in the Aussie national team, but still coming off the bench when you went three bigs and just launching all the same. I, I don't know. I just love Gunners, man. Like, and that's being reductive as to what he is, but I, like, he's more than that, but I just love Gunners. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, he's nah, Stick, Stick is an awesome guy. You know, he, with, with him, like he's... He's the same person, whether he starts or whether he's coming off the bench, he knows what needs to be done. Um, and he, and he's, always, he's, always, he's always been willing to teach people, um, whether you're the same age as him, you've come up with him, like, you know, he's not really one to be yelling out. Um, you know, obviously, probably it might happen if you've done something five times later in a, <laughs> yeah, ro- in a row. Sure. But I think, that's, I think that, that's with anyone, right? You know, yeah, you try and yeah. teach someone something. Um, but no, nah, like I think... Yeah, he's definitely the one that comes to mind and he's he's helped me get through um, a lot of things. Like I remember as a kid playing against him in like a, a off-season sort of competition um, and he was actually telling me where to go and do this and that when we were playing against, we were playing against each other um, and, I, and I was a kid. So, you know, that's that's why I got so much respect for Sticky. Um, and, yeah, just a cool guy off the court and, and yeah. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Okay, last question on the roller stuff. We, I think we've danced around this a little bit already, but this is basically borne out of a conversation me and James had recently about how I think the world of wheelchair basketball is getting a bit deeper and a bit smarter in terms of how players are viewed. So we kind of came up with the idea that I think players are more appreciated now. It used to be that playing for your country was the only measuring stick of whether you were good or not. It would be you know, if James was trying to sign me off to a team and they would say, well, does he play for his national team? And he said, no, they would have said, well, we're not interested then. But you've kind of done everything up to that point. How much is playing for the Rollers, you know, the final objective for you versus how much are you just looking at? I'm going ahead with what's in my career currently. And if representing Australia comes around as a result of that, then great. But it's not the be all and end all, I guess. Oh look, I mean, you know, I, I obviously love representing my country, and I want to go to I want to go to a Paralympics. I want to go to a World Championship. Um, you know, at least one of each. But I, w- I would like to go to a few, ideally. That's that's my objective. Um, but you know, I think you know, in today's world, I guess of basketball, it it is still quite important. It, it definitely helps. Yeah. Um, being able to say, you know, you are part of. A national team because um, at the end of the day that means you're one of the 12 best players technically speaking um, you know obviously there's a lot of ins and outs but you know if you if you if you went to Tokyo or if you've gone to Germany the the previous World Cup um, then you know it's it's easier to look for film and look for okay how is this player um, as a person you know you can just ask around but how, how are they on the court most people have seen each other play if they've played for their national teams. Um, Whereas I think if you're probably looking at the other way um, of trying to get recognised, I guess, the other direction is I think you've just got to 
keep going with it um, if you haven't played for your national team or if you're not trying to play for your national team. I think you've just got to focus on your club-level team and make that your national team, you know. And, sure. and what I mean by that is if, if you're not really too focused on trying to play internationally, then everything you do for your club, you've got to treat that as, okay, well, this is international standard, so I'm going to play as good as I can or, you know, to the best of my ability to try and get a bit more recognition. Um, but, you know, social media, man, social media has is, is changed the game as well, you know. Um, wow. I think I think you guys having a podcast like this definitely adds a lot. And I see a lot of stuff from Ayaka as well. You know, she puts up all these posts on, on Instagram and, um, you know, there's, there's just so many awesome advocates as well, you know, today, today compared to 10 years ago. Yes. So let, let alone 20 years ago. Yeah, and I think I think that's a big part of it. I think like even club level stuff, video is way more available now than it ever was. Whereas I think maybe going back seven, eight years, it used to be the only wheelchair basketball video anywhere was of like world championships, and that was more or less it. So yeah, I think maybe recognition's getting a bit easier to come by, but I think yeah, you're you're right in that there's a bunch of people whose objective isn't necessarily to wear their national team jersey and if people want to do it for x number of years and you know play professionally in spain or germany or wherever it may be and that's what they want out of it then that's awesome you know it's great that the sport can provide that at this point yeah yeah exactly and that's and that's not saying that they don't want to play for their country it's just you know every everyone's circumstances are different you know maybe they play professionally because it's better to live over in Europe playing professionally than, than where they originally come from. I, I don't know. You know, there's there's a lot of ins and outs um, for, for each individual. But, you know, if that if that is the case and they want to make the most of their, their, their job, I guess, um, then they're going to try and do their best to play as well as they can for their club because at the end of the day, that's their job um, and they, don't, they, they find it better living in, in, in Europe than, you know, other countries that they might uh, be coming from. So, sure. yeah. All right. So let's shift on a little bit talking about, uh, we're talking about club bas- basketball there. So we have to talk a little bit about the Darwin Salties, um, <laughs> which is a hilarious name and the team with the greatest jerseys in the history of wheelchair basketball, I would say. So um, obviously you sort of have spoken about growing up there and needing to move away to have opportunities to play so it must be must be incredibly meaningful meaningful for you to see this team having their first season in the Australian league and being able to be a part of that I would imagine that was that was pretty special yeah mate it was it was it was very special um for Tom and I um you know we're we're just in the other day we're just two kids who came from a small city um because for the the people who don't know, you and Tom essentially have set this club up and built it from from the ground up, more or less. If you not, uh, yeah, you know, we've definitely had a lot of support. Um, I think it it helps when you have a lot of people behind the scenes that are very supportive. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Tom and I have two very passionate players, two very passionate people, uh, I should say. And the way the way we look at it is, you know, we've you know, we've gone the hard way. We've we've gone the hard road um, of trying to play wheelchair basketball at the highest level, and and we're we're fortunate enough to be in positions that you know we can speak up now and try to you know be advocates ourselves. I guess um, what you want to call that. Um, and you know, Tom's played 
in, in Brisbane for the Queensland Spinning Bullets the last 10, 11 years. And I, I've been playing um, in Sydney for the Sydney Metro Blues um, and playing in Sydney for the last, I don't know, 13 years yeah. or so. So a long yeah, way from home. Being, just... both, both being able to, yeah, both being able to be in positions that we are now is like, hey, we're in a we're in a position that we've got good support behind us um, from the Basketball Association, from Darwin Basketball Association, and you know from Basketball Northern Territory, which is our, our state um, or, or territory uh, as we're known as. And you know, I think, like I said, you know, the game's changed now. Um, there's a lot of publicity about wheelchair basketball and um, the fact that two of us are from there, and we wanted to really push for a team uh, to, to be in the national league is it's been awesome because at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 29, Tom's 25. Um, we both just want to be able to sort of live in one city um, yeah. and not have to travel just to play at the highest level in our country. When a lot of people have a team in their backyard, basically. Um, and, and it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't just for us. We, we looked at it. We wanted to try and help, change that for people you know for kids for any adults who might acquire the injury and they want to play wheelchair basketball and at least we're going to be the closest city in our state now that if they want to play at the highest level in in our country then now we finally have a team you know and and here we are we were able to bring in the Darwin Salties um, as a national league team and um, Yannick was keen to jump on board and and join us and Yannick's Yannick's you know he's, he's a good mate of both Tom and mine and and he's been wanting to do that as well. You know, he's he's from a um, small country town, so he he understands how hard it is um, to create a team and um, and maintain it in the league. And um, him joining us was definitely a big benefit because we also needed a low pointer um, because most <laughs> of the just most so of happened the... the guy you got was maybe like top two low pointer in the world at least. Oh, I'm, I'm up here a bit biased, but I'm going to say he's the best one-pointer in the Okay, world, we're, so. we're, we're contractually not allowed to say that because Abdi Jama is British. <laughs> oh, well, you know, <laughs> tomato, tomato. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's just awesome to have Yannick wanting to jump on board. And um, I, don't know, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the weather in Darwin in the middle of the year, but it's it's the dry season. So rest of the country is actually cold. So it actually turned out better for Yannick as well uh, off court that he got a bit of sunshine um, when he came back from playing in uh, Lanville. So at least, you know, he could have a bit of a summer um, if that's what you want to call it. But no, he was just, he was just keen to come and join me and Tom and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's historical when you really look at it, we're, you know, we're part of the first national league team in Darwin. It's never happened before. Um, in 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 our league so to be able to say that like it's yeah it, it was unreal and the goal now is to try and win a national league title you know tom yannick and i have actually never won a national league uh championship we've we've played in uh, a final before uh i've only played in a national league final once and yannick's played in a few and tom's played in a fair few as well so but between us where we we thought we'd, we've never won one um with our previous clubs so yeah. Okay, it'd be pretty well, cool to be doing it from home, I would say. But no, I just wanted to say that's it's super admirable that you guys have sort of built this and not kind of, I don't know the way I would, the metaphor I would use is you guys have kind of kept the door open behind you because it would be super easy to say like if you look at what you've done and what Tom have done, you could 
probably both stopped playing now and like you've you've done it like you've lived abroad you've had cool experiences you've kept roofs over your head playing a sport that you love and like you guys have made it out of places that you might not have had opportunities to uh if things kind of fell a little differently and i think that's really really cool that you guys have been aware enough of that to not just kind of go oh thank god i made it out cool we're safe i've i've gone i've gone to college now you know i'm playing abroad i'm making money playing i think yeah no i just wanted to say what you guys have done being able to set that up is really really cool because god knows how many kids or adults who acquire injuries or have disabilities over the next 10 20 30 years whatever however long this team goes have the chance to sort of change their lives through basketball as well because we talk about all the weird intricate stupid x and o's and stuff but like realistically like that's the power of the sport at some level isn't it and i think that's that's super cool and the other thing i wanted to say is if you guys need a two or a one five for next year at any point <laughs> me and mark really like the jerseys <laughs> oh okay cool, cool. no look no, i appreciate it. appreciate the words mate. like it, it definitely does mean a lot um you know we just like i said tom and i just just know how hard it is for people coming from our city um and, yeah. and we were just two two kids wanting to play at the highest level and chase chase our dreams yeah, and the, um, and, the existence of the yeah. Salties, right, is the difference between the next in line of someone like you guys taking up the sport and not taking up the sport is literally that black and white. You know, it could be someone just goes and swims. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you... I mean, like when I when I first got back home, uh, March, I think it was March 2020, um, when COVID sort of first, you know, un- unfolded, um, you know, my, my goal then was, Hey, uh, I reached out to Darwin Basketball and was like, "Hey guys, like, I'm back. I don't know how long for. You know, we had no idea how how much COVID would affect us, but I'm here now. What what can I do to help uh, yeah. improve wheelchair basketball here? And um, and did a lot of coaching clinics. Um, did some three x three stuff. And by the time Tom came back a few months later, um, we definitely got back involved with the community because we always used to play in the local league as well and we also uh referee um other games and stuff and it's a it's a social comp but you know like everyone's everyone's pretty cool and everyone um supports us too especially um from the basketball community back home and we just wanted to show our love that hey like we're here to support you guys as much as you've you've shown support to us and um being able to do that it's definitely influenced a lot of people and brought on more supporters just of the sport in general of wheelchair basketball because now a lot of people are getting getting a lot more involved and um, we're able to host the finals there for National League and um, hopefully that'll just be a stepping stone towards years to come that, you know what, we'll get a, we'll get a, a whole arena full of people coming to watch and we had a pretty good crowd and, and you, know you've, you know you've got a lot of support when you hear from other players, from other clubs saying, man, this this finals atmosphere is actually unreal um and yeah. that was that was that was that was a big thing that was a big compliment for for all of us it was like like we knew how big it was but to hear that from other players who were superstars of the game um it was just like even they've recognized it and and they've acknowledged it and that's that's where you just kind of feel like oh this is awesome to hear like you know because at the end of the day we just want to make sure that you know, it doesn't matter whether people make the international scene or, you know, international stage um, with national teams coming from Darwin or the territory. It's just more about 
all right, well, there's a pathway now. And that's what that's what Tom and I are all about is we want make we want to make sure that there's a pathway for people to be able to chase their dreams. You know, if you don't have a national league team, then where's the highest level that they can play? It's that's just a social competition. And then, you know, will they have the support to be able to fly interstate every week or every few weeks or or go to boarding school? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's a, it's pretty unlikely, but just the fact that we've now got a national league team, it just means that okay they might end up getting recognised because they play National League now and that's where the coaches start to see the players from National League. Um, and, you know, here we here we are today. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. So, last thing, where do, how do we go about getting some of these jerseys? Can you get them shipped over to us or are we going to have to fly out to a Salty's home game and buy one from the gift shop? Well, I mean, that, that's actually not a bad idea. You might actually have to come and commentate a weekend <laughs> of games for us. Huh? I'm in. Cool. Will, will you pay our expenses to fly in? Because if so, we're there. <laughs> nah, look, I'll, uh, I'll speak with Tom and Yannick and see what, see what we can sort out, mate. Um, yeah, see if that sweet, sweet Illunion or Landil money can cover it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll see, see what those boys can do. So, But, um, but no, you're, you're, you're definitely not the only ones that's been asking about the jerseys and um, everything. I'm actually wearing my Salty's hoodie. Oh, right cool. so, um, yeah, we've got we've got pretty pretty cool gear and, and it's cool because it's linked up with uh, the able-bodied basketball team. Uh, the NBL one Darwin Salties, which is the stepping stone to playing in the NBL in Australia at the highest level. So, okay. um, and there's a good relationship between uh, AB men and women's NBL one teams and, um, and, and us as a national league team. So it's, yeah, that's, that's sort of what the vibe is like in Darwin is everyone gets around each other. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is cool. Awesome, man. Nice one, man. Right. All right. Should we shift on a little bit? Cause we've got UTA to cover and, we're going to bring in some more of our anonymous sources at this point, CJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too uh, easy. <laughs> but before we do, this is obviously, this is for our benefit as much as it is anybody listening. Because uh, as we mentioned, we didn't know a lot about you. So how did the UTA opportunity come about for you? You mentioned John McPhail there, but what was kind of the, what was yep. the I'm doing this move? Well, <laughs> well, it's it's funny how things sort of worked out in my life. Um, it's because... I went to UTA as a kid um, right after high school. We went, we visited because John was, I think, in his second or third year at UTA back in 2011. And they had a junior tournament. So we actually got invited to go over to the US um, as our junior state team. Right. Um, and we played over there. And that's where I met um, our coach at the time was Doug, Doug Garner and spoke with him then. And I was just literally straight out of high school. I just graduated like less than a month previous um, before we flew over and, you know, spoke to him about, you know, how can I get into college and come to play here? And um, we figured out that it wasn't the right time because, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do straight out of high school. Um, So I ended up actually just living in Sydney after school. um, And I worked for about four years or so, four or five years. Um, And then I finally realized like, Hey, um, I actually worked in two of the large four banks in Australia and I kind of um, found out that it wasn't, it wasn't me. Um, mm. I wanted to, I wanted to go to college now and actually study and play ball and make that my goal. And um, I originally went over to, I, re- I reached out to Doug. Uh, I think it was late 2015 um, mm. and started messaging and, and, you know, part of it was because of John, but also because of Troy Sachs. Um, Troy, Troy was saying, hey, like, you know, you got to check out UTA. Um, 
And the cool part was there's a direct flight from Sydney to DFW. So oh, lo- yeah, a long, long 16, 16, 17 hour flight or so um, direct. But, you know, end of the day, at least, at least it was just as soon as you get on the flight, you're on your way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of how the opportunity came up was I got, I got in contact with Doug again and Doug, thankfully he remembered who I was, you know, from five years before. Cause you know, I was just a kid at that point and I didn't think he would have remembered me, but um you know here here we go and he you know two of the high pointers were graduating so kind of just like you know one door opened another door closed and um you know here we were you know I, I went to boarding school played for New South Wales then ended up going to visit UTA and then got remembered because I was playing for the state team and then you know got into UTA and got to play with with all the guys there and like you know playing with Fabian from then on so Sure. So you mentioned you mentioned Doug there, and one of the questions that we were given by one of our sources, uh, Rose Hollerman, was, "What did you think of Dougie's coaching style?" Very, very unique. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, he's. It's very. It's. I guess it's very different. You know, I never played up until, up until I went to UTA. I'd never played for a coach who didn't play wheelchair basketball. Oh. I'd always actually had players who played previously, coaches who had played wheelchair basketball. Um, so it was just, you know, it was just, it's like coming to Spain, you know, different lifestyle, different environment. Um, so that was just something new um, on top of that, you know, the school side of things. Um, but yeah, the, the way, the way Doug coach was, it was pretty, it was pretty easy going, pretty straightforward um, with what he wants and very easy guy to talk to about, if you'd like to look at doing something different um, sure. and he'd love to test out a lot of different theories <laughs> um, of what we, we sort of had over the years. And, you know, some, some worked, some didn't work, but we learned from them. Um, but just, I think just overall, just, just a legend, um, just a great bloke. And yeah, like he, he looks out for his players and he looks out for all the, all the, all of his students and was just, yeah, it was just an honor to play for him. Yeah. Nice. Uh, next question Rose asked to ask you is how good is Bobby? Oh, mate. <laughs> Bobby Nickelberry. <laughs> because this is me and Rose have had this conversation a couple of times where she's been like, no, no, I'm telling you, this guy's the best player I'll ever see. And man, I want to watch some video because I've heard he was just nuts. Like, you know, like obviously I haven't seen every player in wheelchair basketball that hasn't played um, at a Paralympics or a World Cup, but I would say he'd be number one up there, like just which is just that, completely insane. <laughs> which is actually unreal. Um, yeah, like I remember going there for the first time and like scrimmaging, and I think Bobby blocked me going for a layup. But from my from my perspective, he was so far away, I didn't know how he did it. Yeah. And like my first two or three years, like I learned so much playing with him and against him that. Um, I started to realize like how he does. And it's just, it's just, it's not about, and that's where I started to learn. I think it's the game's not about speed. You know, it's, it's about just seeing what's, what's in front of you, what's on the court, just your court vision um, and having that poise or the, you know, the patience. Cause, and especially him doing what he does is just unreal. Like very great, like a great left-hand shooter, but you wouldn't think he's a left-hand shooter if you saw him use his right hand inside the paint and shooting the shooting the way he does so it was just like wow this is phenomenal (laughs) just sort of it's i was stunned 
I think it, it's really interesting when you come across somebody who like makes you rethink stuff like that. It's like my closest example was going back to like a, a GB juniors camp one time and somebody being like, Oh yeah, your scoop layups really come on. And I was like, yeah, I've trained with Lee Manning two or three times a week for like the last season solidly. If I go for a straight layup at any point, that's getting swatted. And like, yeah. I don't, I don't think you realize it at the time. And then you're like, Oh, that, like training against this guy has literally changed how I perceive basketball. It's, well, it's really that is funny because it's all it all it takes is just that one player to sort of change your whole perspective on on the game or just certain parts of your game. And yeah, it's it's unreal how much can actually make a difference. But yeah. now nah, Bob, Bobby's a cool guy off the court. You know, um, he definitely taught taught me a lot and taught a lot of us um, over the years. And yeah, phenomenal player. Awesome. Okay, next up from Rose Holloman. I don't know if she's trying to get you to start a fight here, but she's asked thoughts on Jay's coaching style. So you've covered off Dougie already. So thoughts on Jay? <laughs> well, that's that's very different because you know he he's he was a player. So so he's he's a very smart very smart player, very smart coach. Um, I, I definitely also learned a lot from him as well. Being there, you know, like yeah, over the over the over time, I think they started to realize I'm trying to learn, you know, I might sound, I might've seemed annoying at first, like going up to Bobby and Jay or going up to Googe and trying to ask them hundreds of questions um, every week. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think I, I got better because I did that. Um, you know, I want to learn from, from as many knowledgeable sort of players as I can, you know, and, and absorb that information and put it into my game. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. Like if you're a great player, you're a great player, you know, give credit where credit's due and, um, definitely learned from uh, yeah Bobby Googe and Jay over the years and um, and then just being able to be part of a, a college team that had a lot of different international players as well was a really cool experience um, because then you also got to see how basketball sort of played and saw their their basketball brains um, if that's what you want to call it um, and it was just it was just a really cool experience to be able to be like hey we've all got different styles but let's put it all on paper and then put it all out there and see what we can come up with and take it game by game, really. Yeah. And Rosie's last question is, how did you feel about coming to the women's scrimmage and just effing people up? I've slightly sort of changed the wording of that, obviously. But, oh, and Rose is also the author of the thing I wasn't meant to ask you, so we'll, we'll ask follow you up on Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my, like, my goal to when I went to the the women's team scrimmages was more about just trying to help them and you know change change things up a little bit for them because I was always invited because of Jay um yeah it wasn't like I wasn't going there to try and actually oh I'm actually playing because I want to play and win like it's it's scrimmage like we're here to just get some reps in um and and learn from each other and help help each other you know the way I saw it was we're all we're all teammates men and women um because we're from the same college, like we both, both teams, we all wanted, um, we both, we wanted both teams to succeed together. So that's all that was about. But no, it was always fun because, you know, Rose is a very, very great player. Um, um, just in, in the world, she's a really great player. Um, so being able to play with or against her, I think I was definitely on the teams against her to try and give her the sort of um, opposing players sort of ideal, I guess, in practice was, because I think at the time, you know, you had you had Juice from Alabama and Kate Lang. So it was kind of me playing on the other team. I was kind of 
yeah, meant to be the threat like they they were for Alabama. So, um, but no, it was just fun. You know, we all we all enjoyed scrimmaging with and against each other, and yeah, apparently <laughs> good, good times. You have a much more innocent uh, version of the history than Rose does. Sounds like she's got some trauma <laughs> about it from her wording. Oh, I'll I'll have to ask her now because I, I I haven't heard heard this. So okay, this will cool. be interesting. Well, I might, uh, might catch up with her at some point over here. <laughs> in the meantime, we'll shift on to our next anonymous source. So if I was to tell you that we reached out to this guy, and the first thing he could always tell us is that when you rocked up at UCA, the nickname you earned was Baby Faced Clarence. Who do you think I might be talking about? It's got to be Romo. It is, correct. And also, do you mind if Babyface Clarence is the title of the episode? Oh, it doesn't bother me, mate. Um, that's why, <laughs> I, like, I, I never really tried to grow a beard tall. I was pretty much in my second year at UTA. Um, on, my on my tour, on my, my recruiting trip, um, the guys, I met most of the guys that I'd end up playing with you know, and Romo was one of them and like he thought I was a lot younger than him. Um, but then they realised like, no, this guy's actually 23. You know, Romo <laughs> was only like 19 or 20 at the time and it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, so I just I just got crazy baby face. So that's why I try to keep the, the facial hair going, mate. So yeah, I, keep the beard, I, but... I feel your pain, man. I, I know exactly where you're coming from with that. But a lot of people told me, you know, as you get older, you kind of appreciate it a bit more. But uh, I, I, like, I like having the beard. So... <laughs> Okay, so speaking of Romo, um, we kind of asked him about your guys' initial stint playing together. I'm going to give you some quotes from him who said, CJ always kind of had the same way of playing, picks when to use his speed and when to play calm. And then his other one, which I've never heard anybody describe this way, says he tends to be quicker with the ball than without it for whatever reason. You're free to, <laughs> free to argue with those, but it wasn't me that said them, so maybe take them up with him at training tonight. No, no, I, I won't. I won't argue with that. Like, we, it's it's also a running joke. Um, okay. At the same time, but but Ramon and I actually live together, so so it's no. Oh, is it? Is he listening in? <laughs> no, I've got I've got the headphones in, so okay. he can't he can't hear, but he can hear me answering the questions. But okay, cool. no, that's yeah, that's that's kind of how it's how it's always been, and and I don't do that deliberately. I think something just clicks, you know, when you have got a ball involved. It's a it's a different story for me. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the running joke. Is like. Some people, when they see us practicing, um, doing certain, you know, cone drills or just pushing, yeah. and then you bring in a ball involved or you see me practicing in general, then as a player um, in an actual game, you kind of feel like you're seeing two different people. Right. Um, but so that's, that's just how it is. If coach sends you guys to do suicides, so you like, can I dribble a ball so I win? Oh, well, I mean, I feel like they'll be like, no, nah, they, they might be, they might end up saying everyone can have a ball except for me. So... <laughs> No. just just to make me work harder so yeah. okay um one of the things we kind of wanted to ask you about this anyway but what Romo said uh backs up we when we first watched you this season we very lazily tried to do a comparison of who your game reminded us of um obviously we kind of covered it you're a smaller four-pointer um Put it frankly, there's not a lot of guys who play the way you do. Do you? How would you describe what your game is first off? And do you think it's particularly shaped by you know mimicking or influenced by anybody else? Yeah, well, I was actually talking to James um, after the game uh, the other week when we played Bill Bow and when, just... when you were like, I don't know who I play like, but we played better than you guys. 
Yeah, you're like, thank God I don't play like any of the guys on your team. <laughs> nah, look at nah, nah, wait, nah, I I didn't, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't mention that. But I was nah, waiting. Like, I was yeah. waiting for that to come up. We did okay. Nah. We got like an R in. Oh, mate, like I mean, end of the day, like yeah, if 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 it got that serious, I'd just be like the scoreboard. Like it's it's <laughs> once the game once the game's done, the game's done. Like yeah. you know, yeah, the losses come with the wins, so you got to take them both. You know the way you want to um, to keep moving forward, but. Now, James and I had a good chat after the game and um, we pretty much said, I think James was, you know, just, I just like to play jungle ball. Um, just, just, yeah, jungle ball is, is my favorite. You know, I'm a reactive sort of person. Like I read and react and just play with what's in front of me. Yeah. Um, you know, we can do so many sort of set plays and things, but at the end of the day, like, I don't feel like that's my strength. Um, I feel like it's just, you just got to sort of let me off the leash a little and let me have some fun on the court. So, um that's that's how I like to kind of play. Um, but, you know, I know when it comes to national team stuff, there's always a structure, but then I'll also be given those opportunities on, okay, now you've got the green light. You can go rogue a little bit. So, you know, a little bit of give, give and go. So sure. um, that's that's kind of how it is. And But I think, yeah, I, I don't know who I play like. Like, I think I think a lot of people have actually said that to me. They, they couldn't think of who to compare me to really as a... As a as an example, um, but you know the guys I looked up to and wanting to add what they have to my game was actually Sean Norris and Sticky. Um, so mm. Sean and Sticky are the two guys, and 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 it might be a surprise to you about the Sticky part is, but I just love how he's, you know, able to just control the floor, um, considering, you know, how much I love to just sort of run and gun and do this and that but he's very smart sticky with the way all the little one percenters and that's what he's he's taught me over the years is you know you might have a pick and roll um against you as a defender and can you can you get that that foot plate in the in the wheel a little bit and hold that <laughs> hold the pinch a little bit and maybe the ball goes out maybe the, the call gets called you know little things like that and sticky very smart with that and that's that's some of the stuff that I definitely learned um, from Sticky. Um, you know, sorry for selling you out, Sticky, but um, <laughs> he doesn't listen to this. But, well, he might listen yeah, to no. this one. He, he doesn't have Instagram, thankfully. So hopefully he won't hear the podcast. But no, nah. nah, it's, it's just, yeah, that, that's just an example of the things that I've learned from Sticky. It's just the one percent is where yeah. you take care of those little things, then hopefully the domino effect will, will turn out positive for you in, in, at the end of the game or end of the day. So, yeah. All right. Should we talk a little bit, a little bit about your current club situation? Because we have a couple of questions that people have asked after that, so we probably need to get through this. Oh yeah, yeah. Go for it. Quickly enough. So why Valladolid? Was it? Were, were there any offers on the table that you'd thought about previously? Was it kind of, um, you knew Romo or you knew guys that had been there, or what was what was the driving force between you picking this club? Um, well, I mean, for starters, uh, it helped knowing uh, Sticky and Tristan first um, had played here. Um, they gave really good recommendations about um, the club and playing here and, you know, how the club is on and off the court um, and, and how you get treated. And to me, I'm, I'm very big on that. You know, like I feel like I'll play better if I know that a coach or the club is, is supportive of me too off the court and, um, and that's that's how my relationship was always um, with Troy. You know, I felt like I always performed well because 
he didn't just look at me as a player, he looked at me as a person and, and looked out for me. And I, I kind of felt that from Jose already um, after reaching out and just hearing Sticky and uh, Tristan's um, experience of being at the club. Um, I did, I did have, I did have a couple of people reach out, but most of the sort of offers, I guess, were when I was halfway through college, yeah. and it was, it was, it was so tough to be like, sorry, I'd love to, but can you get, can you contact me in another two years or three years? Like, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, if you if um, you don't mind holding your plans and therefore these other guys' careers up for like two straight years, I'll get right back to you. Yeah, exactly. Like, and you know, and and I'm I'm very grateful to those coaches reached out. You know, um, one from Italy and one from France. And but at the time, it just wasn't, it just wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready. Um, and I committed to Doug to playing at the um, at playing at UTA for the five or six years. You know, because of COVID, who knew at that point? But my goal was get my degree and hopefully in between can win a couple championships. And um, and that was my goal. You know, I wasn't going to let offers from Europe affect that that was yeah. never going to happen for me um I was actually pretty switched on as soon as I went to college I was like this is my goal for the next five or six years like, I'm not going anywhere else um and but by the time I by the time we finished our season we won and had a bit of a break and I yeah I got a message um on Facebook from Jose and yeah you know the rest is sort of history but I, I did speak to a couple people just you know not in depth, not too in depth, I guess, but sure. Um, but I think with Jose, we pretty much was locked in as after the first sort of few messages. I think, um, I think within a couple of weeks, and it was something that I didn't think about. I didn't think about trying to join a club straight away after we we just finished our season. I just wanted to enjoy the last you know two months of being in the US, and um, I think was still just stoked at how it all sort of ended. You know, yeah. being able to finish on your home court um, with another national championship and getting your degree. The, the degree at the end of the day was, was the main goal, but the yeah. championships in between were just a big bonus. And like I said, being able to do that. And, you know, I don't think we won at home for, for, for about since the nineties, I think maybe. Because um, sure. the last time they played at home, they, they lost in the final, unfortunately to, to Wisconsin Whitewater. So UW Dub. So it was pretty. It was a pretty big moment for us as a program, but also for Doug as well. So yeah. Um, yeah and yeah, I was just worrying about school then for the next two months and just f enjoying my last couple months in the US. Yeah. yeah. Nice man. So Romo uh, spoke to us about the big jump from the college game to Spain. Obviously, something that he had done previously. And I will quote him directly saying there's definitely some stuff he could get away with in college that we can't get away with here. So did you have a, did you have like an, oh man, this is different moment or how are you, how are you finding the adjustment in general? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's definitely, definitely a big adjustment. Um, you know, you, you can get away with a lot of things there, but here um, it's, it's very different. You know, you're playing against, a lot of players who have a lot of international experience, um, very smart players, very skilled players here, um, you know, a lot more than college, obviously. But um, I think everyone just plays, everyone here is so physical on the court. Um, and a lot of stuff sort of gets just, you know, you kind of just let the boys play. And I think that's kind of the thing that's sort of um, taken me a little while to adjust to. It was like, oh, wow, like, like, like no, this is actually you just backed into me, or <laughs> you, you just 
you just foot play to me or I've seen I've seen in some games so far on the live streams I've seen people get six wheeled and nothing gets called so you know I've, oh, I got six wheeled in a, in a in a game this season already and it was just like wow okay <laughs> this is the standard like I, I know I'm a four but I didn't spin that fast from a turn <laughs> on my own so but you know that's that's just the things you got to learn and um, and like I said it's just I was saying to James the other week it's just different system new club new teammates and I'm just trying to find where I can try and fit in and help help the team really so and it i guess you you kind of mentioned the um you know the amount of experience that most of these clubs have in terms of established guys or you know guys who've got strong international resumes or whatever were you when violet reached out and you know you guys agreed and you got signed up and whatever were you aware of the strength and depth of the spanish league and what you were getting yourself into or do you think you've kind of learned week by week and team by team as you've been feeling it out? Um, I mean, I think I did. Like, I think, I think I feel, I feel like I had a pretty good idea. Um, but I think just being here, it's, yeah, you actually see it for yourself now, you know, in person up front. So I think that changes up things a little bit. Um, but I mean, I was already speaking with Romo at the time um, and he was telling me about, you know, what the guys are like here. Cause you know, he already knew a few of the guys here and, you know, and I thought, oh, well, this will be fun then. Like we kind of got an idea, like, you know, Roma and I played, this is our what fifth, sixth season together or whatever it is. And um, yeah, we're able to play with a lot of different guys with a lot of different experiences now and international experience that is. Um, and yeah, you know, like the rest is sort of history. Yeah. So in terms of, you mentioned the guys you're playing with, you've kind of joined a Vitalid team that had some guys who had been mainstays like Maxi Ruggeri, Adrian Perez. Those guys have been at Vitalid for as long as I can remember at the very least. Um, and obviously Romo's coming in, haven't already been in Spain. Uh, Yelma's been there a little bit and is kind of still establishing himself to some extent, I think. So how did you approach the challenge of, you know, I need to be able to fit in with what, the moving parts here, but also bring my game, if that makes sense. Was that just a show up at training and we'll see how it looks? Or had you kind of scouted these guys ahead of time? No, I watched a few games ahead of time, but, you know, it, like I said, it's it's different watching it on live stream to, to being part of it now and actually being uh, in the group. So um, it's just about the chemistry, you know. I think we're still all sort of working out the little one percenters um but you know i don't think we're doing too bad collectively but we definitely got a lot to improve on um as a group but you know so far it's just been a great learning experience being here and um just looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season sort of unfolds sure yeah so we've got written here that you guys might be bringing in lachlan dalton is that true? Is that happening? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That gives you guys another look. Obviously, me and Mark were talking about it. You guys could go three big, uh, Jonathan Soria and him, if I'm not mistaken. Well, if Mark's not mistaken in telling junior, me that. Junior points factored in. I believe you guys can play that lineup. But yes. uh, presumably, Lachlan's coming over. Uh, my guess was because there was obviously Junior Worlds and then there was Dubai Worlds. I wondered if the club had delayed bringing him over until like after Christmas. Yeah, I, th- I think especially because he was at 23s, um, yeah. that took a bit of time for him to get back and do all of that. So um, I'm I'm not sure what the 
full reason is at the moment, but no, the plan is still to bring him in. Um, yeah, because, you know, Jose reached out to me, I think a couple of days before 23s and, you know, asked, is there, is there a young sort of three-pointer or, you know, he actually asked for a three-pointer and I couldn't think of any young sort of three-pointers that could possibly take the next step, right? you know, at the, at the flick of a switch. But um, the first one I thought of was, okay, well, someone young, 2-5, Lockie Dalton. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first one I thought of. And then so I, I reached out to my mate Lockie and was like, hey, you still trying to come overseas or what's your plan for And, and th- this was weeks after him becoming like a, a viral sensation in the wheelchair basketball world, right? With his... Um, oh, get- he's, quite, he's a Com Games gold medalist. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, hey, at least, you know, the James, you can say you, you actually got a, got a win over those guys. Yeah, man. It, you yeah. Hold, hold and, your hat. Yeah. and there was there were technical difficulties and it's not been on TV. The only game they lost, <laughs> we took it off them. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, I don't know, I don't know. Like we were meant to beat, we had to beat those guys by like eight or nine to make it through the groups, and we were up six at one point. And I was like, can this? Nope, nope, this can't happen. But yeah, still pretty special. But now nah, that's that's gonna be fun for you guys. When is he coming over? Sorry. Well, I mean, I think the plan was trying to get him get him here by next month, but I I, I have to check in with the club to see, sure. you know, what what the holdup is. Um, All right. But I'm, I'm my my guess is probably won't be here till the second part of the season, but no, I'm still excited for him to get over here and, you know, look, he's a good mate of mine and, and he's, and he's a young kid. So he's, he's definitely going to learn a lot. And I think he'll enjoy the experience being in Spain. I think he's, he's only about 21. Oh, so, sweet. Yeah. So it's so a young kid and he's already, he's already done so much. So exactly. He's already had those big game experiences. So I don't think. Oh, and, and to make, to make it worse before uh, he went to the com games, his team, the Queensland spinning bullets who Tom had previously played for, in the in the national league mm-hmm. back home, um, Lockie also crushed our dreams from winning a bronze medal. Um, so in, in, in so the bronze medal, we, uh, bronze medal game. So we sh- we shared the video of him hitting the winner at the Commonwealth. So we got a message from Michael Orprince, who was like, "It's just another day at the office for this guy." <laughs> oh, oh, I, I think I shared that and was like, "Ah, oh, yes, I've seen this before." <laughs> God. Um, so, but yeah, and I thought. I thought, who better, who better than to sign a guy that's already crushed a few people's hopes and dreams? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> already, so and he's on a roll. So I'd rather have him on my team than than playing against him at this point. So yeah, <laughs> all right. Last, last couple time. of little things, and then we'll we'll move on. So, um, yeah, obviously you guys are all still getting to know each other. Have you got any funny stories or good bonding experiences that are safe to be shared on the podcast? You can tell us so far. Um. Oh look, I mean the, the the cool experience so far is just you know the fact that um, Rum and I live together um, in the residence and 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 Yelmer as well. So the three of us have become pretty good mates already, um, pretty quickly. And yeah, he's is is a character that's for sure, Yelmer. So it's it's cool <laughs> and um, you know he speaks so many different languages, which is unreal. Um, so him speaking to us in English, and it's just also cool hearing him speak. You know, using American English and English English English, right. um, so he's he's learning all sorts of little lingos from from Romo and myself and I was Aussie terms. Say, and, you got to um, teach him the Aussie stuff. That's that's next. And and I mean, I it, I'm probably a mixed bag of goodies, I guess, because still got the lingo from Texas and stuff and. Just sure. how things are yeah. over there. Just leave leave it till the end of this season, and Yelma's accent's going to just be unrecognizable. It's like it's been in a melting pot of every English speaking country. Oh yeah, you're going to probably have to start using emojis when you text instead of instead of words now. I'd say. 
<laughs> All right. And last question about by the lead. Have you guys spoken about what your goals are for this season or is it just kind of see as it see how it goes and take it as it comes? Yeah, I mean, look, the goal is to yeah, make the like finish finish in the top four um, and just just do well this season. You know, I know they've they've struggled a bit over the last few years and um this season's a bit different. I could sort of tell the emphasis on how important this season was when I first got here. Um, as soon as I knew that they were looking to sign um, Romo and myself, I thought, oh, this is okay. This is, this is cool. Like, this is a bit more serious. Um, yeah. But, you know, it just turned out that Romo and I were both um, asked by the club to, to come and join, join them um, because Romo and I definitely didn't plan this. I think a lot of people thought Romo and I had actually planned to play together, but you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool experience when you get to play with one of your best mates. Um, but it just happened by chance. Yeah. Um, I don't think that club actually knew how close Romo and I actually are. Um, I think, I think they just thought, Oh, well they're, they're, they're mates, but I don't know how much they knew about our history already together of playing for four years together. The, yeah. um, Did you so, guys tell each other you were signing or was it, was it like one of you dropped first and then the other, or did you just, did you like text Romo and be like, you'll never guess I've just signed it vitally. And he was like, Oh, that's weird. Me too. Well, uh, yeah, I was like, I think I signed pretty early onwards and um, they still had their season. So I think he was still working things out right, okay. um, with his, with his previous club. And, you know, I think it just made things easier. Like, Oh, well, here we are. But now nah, look, I mean, I, 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 cause I always got, um, some help from Romo just about, you know, how, how, do, how does it all work here? You know, wanted to know ins and outs and Romo gave me a lot of advice and stuff about how everything sort of works with wanting to sign a club or going to a club or trying to find out about a club. And, um, and I told him, I said, Hey, I got this offer from Vardalid and um, I think it's pretty cool. And I got a, I got Troy to check it as well for me. And, and I think Tristan sticky and um, had a few people check in to make sure. Um, and you got the, the full team of lawyers on that thing. Most people's first abroad contract, they see it come through and they're like, yep, yeah, sign me up. Not even going to read it. I just want to come to stay. Oh, no, mate. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'll take <laughs> I'll take 20 minutes to read the fine print. So, <laughs> Yeah. You just control F, euro sign. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. You know, because all, all I've heard, just, you know, generally speaking, just, you know, as long as it's whatever it is that you want, it's, it's on paper, it's on paper. There we go. So, yeah. um, and that's what I just made sure. I was like, okay. You know, um, and and considering it's it's my first season, you know, playing in Europe, I I wanted to make sure I was I was comfortable with what I was actually signing. Um, yeah, also that I've I've actually signed for two seasons to play here at Valladolid. Okay. So, um, so that was also a big um, decision to make. You know, do I want to just do one or do I want to take the two year opp- opportunity? Sure. Um, and I know I know how quick college went for me in my first year. It was sort of overwhelming all all at once. So I thought. I spoke with my I spoke with my parents and my dad said, "Remember when you went to UTA? Like the first year, you you enjoyed it, but you were still quite overwhelmed. You didn't really know the ins and outs until your second year or third year. So I figured, yeah, you're right. So um, I figured, yeah, why not? So I signed for two. Awesome, true. All right, so let's get on to listener questions we've got a handful here we will rattle through oh, them because i'm very this, aware this will be interesting i'm very aware we've taken up uh, plenty of your time so we'll we'll try and blast through these first question from luis eduardo hasso what's your favorite food in darwin oh mate uh, i have to tell hasso uh, kebab bab so 
um, was was eating a kebab the other night um, for dinner and I sent a message to Tom and Husso and I was just, just being stupid and just calling it a kebab bab and just became a running joke now that um, <laughs> it's not a kebab anymore, it's a kebab bab. So. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay, we've got a couple of similar theme questions here which seem to be about the existence of Marmite, as we call it, or Vegemite, as you call it. <laughs> so... Terry Bywater has just asked Marmite or Vegemite, question mark. Nah, not for me. Not, not, for, okay. not for me. That, that follows into Ayaka's question, which says, do you like Vegemite and how do you eat that? When she says, how do you eat that? I assume she means like in what context? She means like functionally. <laughs> Yeah. Like but, on yeah, like, like 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 what's the chaser for it after yeah. you have Vegemite? Is that the question? No, nah, no. Nah. It's just a bit of a spread on, on your toast, mate, or your you know, your sandwich, but generally you just put a bit, it's you're not meant to get a whole knife full and put it on, on the toast. It's not like the um the sneak in a, a spoonful of Nutella out of a jar doesn't work with the uh the vegetable. Oh mate, I I would not recommend it. But <laughs> if people do want to try that, then that's 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 your decision, sir. I've never had it and it can't like in my head it can't not be terrible. So I'm like, I'm scared, but now I should probably just suck it up. All right. Uh next two questions are both from Yelmer. Uh one is what's life like with Yelmer? Life like with Yelma. Um, never a dull day or a dull moment. We're, Put it that we way. Know, we know the feeling. We can't, um, we can't post anything on our social media without getting some grief from Yelma. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Yel- Yelma's really cool. Like, he's, he's definitely been helpful um, f- to, to Romo and I since since coming over here. And um, I think the three of us have formed this little bond together that because we live together and, you know, you just become good mates already and it already helped that Romo and I already are mates and, um, and Yelma's an easygoing guy and he's he's definitely someone that likes to learn new cultures and new things and um and just yeah he's cool. yeah he just wants to know, wants to learn that's that's cool. what he's about and talking about things that Yelma needs to learn his next question is the earth really flat <laughs> uh he, he he should probably ask Kyrie Irving that I might leave that answer <laughs> Kyrie Irving would just shrug his way and be like I don't know look into it Oh, you might roast your mind, I don't know. Like, so, cool. <laughs> All right. Know. Some non-committal answer from Kyrie Irving is yeah. probably exactly what Yelma doesn't need to hear because I feel like it might send him down a rabbit hole. Disclaimer, it isn't. Our disclaimer is it isn't, and if you believe it is, uh, get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> right, this one's from Mendel up the north who says, do you have any particular or unique pre-game rituals? Oh, I mean, it's, it's not exactly pre-game, but I, I generally have to have tape on my first finger on each hand um, just because of pushing and calluses and stuff. But it's just, then it just became routine from sort of blisters and that just sort of stayed with me. Um, it feels weird to not have it. Um, but also when it comes to games, I've got to wear, I've got to wear both my padded sleeves as well. That's just, that's just what I've got to do. Um, at practice or training, I'll, I'll generally just wear the one on my on my shooting arm. But when it comes to games, I got to wear two. It just okay. feels it feels weird um, without having them on in a game. That's it. That's interesting because I would imagine that would, if you're used to wearing one to practice, then I would imagine it would throw you off more to have a second one. <laughs> but whatever works for you, man. We're not here to judge. Cool. All right. So we have four questions from Tom O'Neill Thorne. 
Oh, here we go. I'll be uh, Mark, shall we alternate these? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So the first one is, and uh, excuse me, because I don't know what's happening here. Uh, <laughs> 328, 328, 328, whatever, or roast and noodles. It's 328. So it's uh, it's it's a little restaurant, Chinese restaurant um, in our city, back back in Darwin. And it's actually called 328 um, uh, roast and duck noodles or roast and noodles spot and there was a there was a time where tom was tom and i were both talking about this this actual place together but he knew it as like the roast and noodle place and i said no no it's called 328 <laughs> and we get there and it actually says like it's 328 roast and noodle or whatever uh, and like we we're both right but you know but everyone in darwin knows that it's 328 you don't say the full sure. name so i was like what the hell are you talking about man? it's 328 so uh, I oh, feel right. like the fact this place has got two names is really skipping over that roast and noodles are two very different dishes and cuisines that don't really mix. Is it like a full roast dinner with noodles in place of one of the pieces? I don't think the word roast carries the British meaning all over the world. It, I don't, I don't yeah, know. But... Probably true as well. <laughs> all right, Mark, next question. Uh, also from Tom and previous disclaimer of we don't know what's happening here applies says monies or wisdoms first. Oh, Oof. and you you're gonna have to let us in because we can't we can't say yes or no. If you I, I know I think it's really funny if you don't tell <laughs> us what's happening. I mean, well, well, monies is short for monsoon's restaurant and party bar, so. Ah. generally the main place you end up at um wisdoms is the bar next door to it so you kind of go there for prees i think so both is yeah, your I'm answer gonna, i mean both but i'm gonna say money's for one that's the that's the motto there money's for one okay all right cool uh next question thoughts on airport beers yeah i don't, I don't mind it but i mean i don't i don't like to be too dehydrated to fly as well <laughs> especially internationally such um, an athlete. Come on, man. Piss off. <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's just it's just me. It's just the CJ thing, I think. It's just more like, you know what? I'm going to be asleep and I'm already going to be dehydrated or I already was dehydrated, so I'm like, I'm not going to make it worse um, sure. flying. So, That's... But I mean, like, I, I don't mind. I don't mind one or two. It just, right. just, it just depends, I think. Love you, man. I wish you could tell that to everybody who goes through an airport and thinks that like 3 a.m. because they're going on holiday is an appropriate time to have a beer. No, you see, my theory on this is that airports are international waters. You can have breakfast in the middle of the night and you can have a drink at 9am if you want. Like, there's, there are no rules. International waters. Hey, well, it's five o'clock somewhere, mate, so you never yeah. know. At any given point. Okay, um, and last one to finish us off from Tony Neilthorne says, how do you get yourself into the mentality to get amongst it on court? Oh, I don't know why he's asking this question. He, he should know. Far out. Um, for the listeners. No, no. Um, oh, get amongst it. I don't know. This is a tough one, actually. Um, well, you just said he should know, so you must know what it is. Yeah, but it's just he like know it's, it's, it's just like I said. It's just more read and react. You know, just <laughs> I just I just love to play jungle ball. Um, now nah, I think I think once I know who who our opponent is and, and I know them well I think that changes things up but um I like to yeah I like to just get out there and just just have fun with it and just do what I can do for the team really um and to the best of my ability um whether it's structured or not but I love playing non-structured basketball just generally sure. speaking so um and I think as you guys mentioned it's pretty hard to sort of compare me to someone that you know as a player so 
Um, I think that's the difference um, is that, yeah, just get out there and just want to try and do what I can to help the team and um, probably in a unorthodox sort of way um, <laughs> than, than most people, but, you know, different methods, same result, hopefully, if, if we can win. So it is what it is. Yeah. Sure. Cool. All right. That so that's all from us then. CJ, thank you for being with us, man. This has been great. And you're welcome back anytime with or without your roommates in tow. We can do it. Do a group episode, which was your initial idea, right? To get us in with like an all Aussie round table. Which oh, might... mate, we, should, we we really should. I mean, like I'll, I'll speak to the boys the, um, next week in Cologne. And... Do you have any idea how much material we would end up having to cut if Hiracup did a group recording with all the Aussies? I, I mean... You'd rather have more than less, right? So then you know what for you have sure. to cut out, then then ask for more content, right? Exactly. You can always take away. You can't add anything once we've stopped recording. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, James has suggested um, compromises. We can't do the the episode when you guys are in Cologne next week. But if you guys are just sitting around having a chat at any point, <laughs> just hit record on somebody's phone and send us the audio and we'll make it work, all right? No, but, and any anyone who plays team sports at this level knows that like that would just get too many people in trouble. Like that's incriminating. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you don't want to be doing that. No. But besides, I just don't want to be on my phone anyway when I'm just hanging out with the boys. So exactly. it'll, it'll be a good catch up for all of us because yeah. yeah, we're all over in Europe. There's actually a big contingent of us now. Um big yeah. group of us here. It's yeah. it hasn't been like that for a while now. So yeah. I'm pretty excited who, to see everyone. Who are you awesome. guys playing? It's you, Germany, obviously. Is anyone uh, else there? Japan Japan as well. Oh, cool. Nice. Um I, I don't know if there's another team or not. Um no, because there's that's, five that's teams all... coming to Madrid. So I was wondering who else was left to end up going. But yeah, didn't come to Germany to play you guys. That's well, cool, man. Uh, the the manager um, that's been organising this is Yannick Blair. So um, yeah, if you Jesus. if you need any more information, he's probably the best person to hit up. Because well, all right, all, all I know is when I'm flying and just turn up, and then yeah, knowing what, what day I leave. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Just roll the ball out and get five on each side. All right, yeah. TJ, thank you very much, and thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back over the weekend with uh, another roundup, and yeah, we'll talk to you then. Be good. No worries. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.